Well, it's wonderful to welcome you again. And uh, we are looking in the Psalms as we have been for a long time on Wednesday nights. And we are in uh, Psalm 36 right now. And if you watched last week, and I hope you did, uh, David talked about the doctrine of depravity. Not a very pleasant subject, not a very uplifting subject, but it is reality. That's the world we live in. That's who we are, fallen creatures, as a result of uh, Adam's sin, of course. And that's passed on and passed on and passed on. And uh, you think about the way that it affects Virtually every part of our lives, very little in your life that's not affected by the depravity of man. And it's why uh, we have riots and, you know, lawbreakers and uh, all kinds of things. But it's also why you have trouble coming to an agreement maybe with your neighbor. Uh, sometimes neighbors have disputes that are relatively minor and seems like they ought to be easy to fix, but they're not always that way. That's why you have people that will make deals with you, and then they will try to uh, maybe get out of the deal or change the deal based on a, you know, a technicality. That's why all of the fine print is in the contracts. That's why there are so many rules and regulations. Uh, I was looking at something one time, and thought, my word, look at all of the stuff that this thing covers and then it dawned on me that's because somebody had done that and so this company was trying to cover themselves and make sure that um, everything was okay that's just the world in which we live and if you think about it how that it affects business it affects politics for sure doesn't it it even affects religion think about uh, all of the church scandals that have taken place over the the years and decades, well, even centuries, uh, going way, way back. Think about uh, how it affects relationships. Think about the high divorce rate that we have. Uh, think about um, the way, uh, when we think about child abuse and child abandonment, those types of things, sex trafficking, uh, any of those types of issues all come out of human depravity. And last time we noticed that David said that depravity, while it is total, it covers every part of us, it sometimes gets expressed more and more as time goes on. In fact, he says that they even invent new ways to sin. I mean, if you think about it, if you have any uh, degree of age on you, um, telling on myself here, aren't I? Uh, some of you could not have fathomed, for example, the transgender movement. It wouldn't have made any sense, and you didn't see it coming. And, you know, 20 years ago, maybe even 10 years ago, you had no idea and just didn't see coming what we're into right now. And, and I don't mean to pick on them, but there's all kinds of sin and all kinds of things that go on that you uh, really had trouble fathoming, but somebody was thinking about it. Somebody was inventing it. If you go back before the Internet and you think about pornography, uh, it was a problem. It's always been a problem. But back in the days when you had to go to, you know, uh, kind of a seedy adult bookstore type thing, you had to go inside of that and you had to pick up the magazines or movies or whatever you were getting and you had to pay for them and then you had to leave. Boy, you would run the risk of being discovered. Somebody might see you. Uh, then when you talk about um, 
the cost in it. Maybe you didn't have any money. Maybe you didn't have the money at the time. And uh, now you look and you see that through the internet and through our smartphones and our tablets and our computers, that pornography is affordable and it's accessible and it's also anonymous. I mean, that's a combination for destruction right now. And when you think about the uh, average age that a young man is exposed to uh, pornography, it's very young. And all of these kind of things, we didn't see that coming before the days of the Internet. Maybe even in the early days of the Internet, that didn't seem to be, you know, uh, on most of our minds. We thought more about email and instant message, remember that? And uh, those kind of things to where we could communicate with people. But there, uh, where there's an upside, there's always a downside. And it seems like in the idea of depravity, that's kind of the way it works while we're on this earth. Good things seem to have a bad side. And uh, it's hard to sort everything out. And there are things that we don't see coming. Okay, Are you depressed yet? Because uh, that is where if we left off where we were last week, if that's all we thought about, then, boy, we're hopeless and helpless, which indeed we are outside of the grace and the power of God. And so David makes this really, really abrupt change in Psalm 36 from the wickedness and the depravity and the disgusting rottenness of mankind into the glorious virtues of the Lord. Why does he do that? Well, first of all, let's, let me say this. I don't know. It's under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. And I don't know 100% certain what the purpose of that is. It doesn't say. But let me speculate. And I'm going to give you something that uh, I don't do very often. But I wrote down a statement here. I think it's um, worthy of writing in the flyleaf of your Bible. This is something you need to think about. Here it is. If you gaze at God's righteousness... You will have no trouble seeing the depravity of people. Isn't that true? You compare God to what's going on on earth, you're going to see the sin. You're going to see the problem. Now, let me finish the statement. Okay, I'll read it again. If you gaze at God's righteousness, you will have no trouble seeing the depravity of people. However, if you gaze at the depravity of man, you will have much trouble seeing the righteousness and the goodness of God. Did you get that? It's all in what you focus upon. That's why Paul told us, set your mind on things above where Christ is. You see, if all you do is look around and see all of the corruption everywhere it manifests itself, if you sit and watch 24 hours of news, boy, you, you don't have much hope of having a happy life, do you? Now, I'm not saying be naive. I mean, David addressed the problem of depravity, and the New Testament does that as well. We're not going to be naive and just Pollyanna-ish, I can say that, of, about everything. We've got to be realistic. It's where we put our gaze. And so if I am gazing at all of the sin and corruption and the problems and the difficulties and the discouragements and just the out-and-out out evil that's going on, uh, what do you think that's going to do to me? And what it makes me do is I'll gaze at that, and then every once in a while I'll glance up to God. 
and then wonder why I don't have the fruit of the Spirit, wonder why I don't have the joy of the Lord in my life. David is giving us an example here of how we can take a glance at the evil and depravity in the world. We're realists. We live in Realville, okay? But we gaze on the goodness and the glory and the majesties and the excellencies of our God, and that changes our entire perspective, okay? So let's read our verses and uh, we'll talk about some things here that uh, uh, come up because, well, uh, let, me, let me back up just a little bit. I got ahead of myself. Because when you look around at the world, you don't have to look far to see all of the corruption. I want you to think about, uh, for example, uh, we'll pick on California. I uh, love living in California and it's a beautiful state, but boy, what people have done to that place is horrible. And think about it. In California, churches aren't supposed to meet. We all know that from Dr. MacArthur. And there are a few other churches that are kind of joining him in that. But abortion clinics and liquor stores and things like that can sure stay open. Something doesn't seem white in the milk, does it? When you think about politicians that will lie about others and then contradict themselves, their own positions their own statements. And that seems kind of ridiculous in a day where everybody's got a video camera in their phone. Seems crazy where anything, almost anything, can be accessed through the internet, through YouTube or something. And you'll find where one month they say one thing, six months later they're saying something completely different and then they deny it. And they do that for political gain and yet they'll tear their opponents to pieces and ruin their lives. Something's not right about all of that. The picking on California again. California just this past, I believe it was just this past week, maybe two weeks ago, by law, lowered the criminal penalties on, are you ready? Pedophilia. Look it up if you need to. Pedophilia. Lowered the criminal uh, penalties for that. The governor signed it into law. This is not just some whim. This is not just some bureaucrat. It was passed in their legislature and signed by Governor Newsom. Can you imagine such a thing? Now my prediction is that if something doesn't change this or stop this, it won't be long before being a pedophile is going to be like every other sexual perversion. It's just the way I'm made. It's just the way I am. And it'll be considered just uh, sexual orientation. When you think about what's going on with Netflix, have you heard about this? Mainstreaming pedophilia with their movie, it's called Cuties. I don't recommend that you watch it, but you certainly can read about it. And uh, what they are doing with 11-year-old girls in that movie ought to cause some people to go to jail. When you think about the BLM, Black Lives Matter, now as a slogan, I'm fine with that because they do. But when you talk about the organization, not so much. Because uh, when BLM and rioters make cities unsafe and they violate social distancing and all of that kind of stuff, that, um, you know, they would uh, say this is why churches can't meet, but rioters and looters can, and they're not prosecuted. In fact, I heard the other day that in California, if you... Uh, uh, steal something and the value is less than, I believe it was $900, they 
virtually won't prosecute you. The police won't bother to arrest you. So get something for $895 and go scot-free. Isn't that crazy? And you see all of this kind of stuff going on where evil and sin, criminality, it's not even addressed or prosecuted. In fact, it's applauded. It looks a lot like Romans chapter 1. They heartily applaud those who do such things. And yet at the same time, they try to shut down churches. It's just crazy. When you think about police and they just are blanketly uh, condemned and vilified on what they do, uh, we look around and see that Marxism is on the rise and that leads to corruption and poverty and especially persecution. There's a book that you probably ought to look at. It's by uh, Paul uh, Kengor, K-E-N-G-O-R, and it's called The Devil and Karl Marx. And it shows the demonic aspects of Karl Marx, what he believed, how he acted. In fact, I heard somebody say the other day that even some of the Black Lives Matters protests that they were actually conducting seances and calling on uh, dead spirits to uh, empower them, those type of things. All of this kind of stuff that goes on. And then we see what's going on in the environment. Everything is life-threatening. Everything is major and historic and unprecedented and all of that. Well, the Bible says in Romans chapter 8, verse 22, that because of the curse that has come up because of man's sin, even the earth groans under the curse. So again, I'll ask you the question, are you depressed yet? Because if that's all you fill your mind with and that's all you think uh, on, again, don't be naive. You need to know about this stuff. But if that's all you do, well, then there's really not much hope. So David says, let's talk about depravity, but let's move on and spend most of our time and let's talk about the glorious God that we serve. And so in chapter 36 of the Psalms, Verse 5, it says, Your mercy, O Lord, is in the heavens. Your faithfulness reaches to the clouds. Your righteousness is like uh, great mountains, and your judgments are uh, great and they are deep. O Lord, you preserve man and beast in other words that last phrase if it were not for the lord nothing nothing would be alive on the earth first of all by creation and secondly by his preservation we would kill ourselves and we would ruin everything and our sin would bring the judgment of god so david talks about these things and it's very picturesque and here's what he means by that number one when he says God's mercies are in the heavens. He's telling us that God's mercy is above this depraved environment that we live on. You're not going to find mercy, not saving mercy, not justifying mercy, not anything that's redemptive. You're not going to find it here on earth because everything here on earth is absolutely corrupted. We don't find it in the church. We don't find it in a pastor. We don't find it in society. We don't find it in government. We don't find it in charity. We don't find it in religious institutions. The mercy of God is in the heavens. Now, I want you to think about that. In the heavens, untouched by everything that goes 
on here on earth. It's not corrupted. It's not defiled. It's up in heaven where God is. It's perfect. It's pure. It's an unchanging thing. And we access it by grace through faith as we turn in repentance from our own sin and trusting in ourselves. And we look to, as wretched, depraved sinners, the mercy, the saving mercy of God. And David said, it's in the heavens where it is safe. It's in the heavens where it's not corrupted. It's pure. And it is exactly what we need because it comes from God himself. That's kind of nice to know. It makes us breathe a sigh of relief that there's nothing that is uh, going to be, there's no fine print in it, in other words. There's nothing that's going to be twisted or corrupted or anything like that. This is God himself being the author of the mercies that we need, and it is reserved in heaven where it's untouched by this depraved environment. It also means when it's in the heavens, think about outer space, it means that Wherever the earth is, at any part of the earth, north, south, east, or west, wherever, because mercy is in the heavens, that means the entire earth can access the mercy of God. doesn't matter what your race is. It doesn't matter what time period you live in. It doesn't matter what country you live in. It doesn't matter what system of government you live under. And it doesn't matter what you have done in your past. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God, and the wages of sin is death. But God's great mercy, because it's in the heavens, can reach anybody, anytime, anywhere, under any circumstances. Everybody needs the mercies of God. Everybody needs the justifying mercy of God. Let's say that. And it comes only from God in the heavens. And that means also, not only is it unable to be corrupted, but it's unable, uh, it, we are unable, to put it this way, to reach it on our own. You can't build a tower of Babel high enough to get to the mercies of God. The mercies of God have to come down to you from Him. It's not human achievement. It's not human ability or human goodness or human merit or anything like that. It is the grace of the undeserved favor of God that brings it down to us. So his mercies are in the heavens where they're not corrupted by this depraved environment here on earth. Okay, does that mean that everything is just completely separate? Well, think about the next thing that he says. God's faithfulness is not affected by a depraved environment. He said your faithfulness reaches to the clouds now something is reaching to the clouds that's not talking about descending from heaven it's his faithfulness is here on earth it's always been here and we see it displayed all the time and it reaches to the clouds the places where we can't go his faithfulness is always here now we could talk about god in in being himself a good God, a great God, an unchanging God. But there's even, I think, more that we might see. Have you enjoyed the cooler weather? Have you uh, enjoyed the change of the seasons? There's something about the way God has created all of us. We're born, 
And when we are born, you can go to a pediatrician with a little baby and they can tell you what the development ought to be with that child, what the child ought to weigh, how tall the child ought to be, uh, when they ought to start speaking and when teeth start growing and, you know, all of those kind of things. It's amazing. And while there may be some variance, it's not much, is it? It's pretty consistent, pretty consistent. When you uh, think about the fact that we got up this morning, nobody said, well, I hope there's gravity today because gravity is a part of the faithfulness of God. When we uh, got ready to eat, we were able to access food because there is something about the way God created things that farmers and ranchers know how to grow crops and they know how to grow cattle and other animals and they know how to uh, cause them to reproduce and they know how to um, process them and all of that so that we can access it and we can have plenty of food. Farmers know not to plant at the wrong season. They know how much water is needed, how much fertilizer is needed. They know all of those kind of things because the uh, process of sowing and reaping is unchanged since Adam. You, you don't mess with that. You may improve it. And you may help it, you may hinder it, but you don't change it. The law of sowing and reaping is always there. When you think about uh, all of the things about the environmental and, and the people that are radical environmentalists, they think we're going to run out of resources or we're going to make life, um, un uh, make the earth uninhabitable by the things that we do. And uh, that's because they don't believe in God. And they think all of this is by random chance and they don't see uh, the faithfulness and the order of God. Why is it that you could go on the ocean today if you wanted to? I wouldn't recommend it. You could go on the ocean today and navigate the same way that Columbus did in 1492. Why? Because there's consistency. The faithfulness of God is shown through creation. It's, uh, you know, something that we all know. We're watching now the seasons change. And sometimes there are swings in temperature and, you know, uh, rainfall and those kind of things. But basically, if you watch, uh, we have some hummingbirds in our backyard. And we've noticed them eating a lot and getting, you know, kind of fat when you look at them for hummingbirds. You know why? Because sometime in the next week or two, they're going to leave. And they're going to migrate and go south. And they're going to spend the winter there and they won't be back where we are until the spring. How do they know that? Climate change doesn't seem to affect them. And uh, the environmentalist uh, predictions of doom and gloom and all that doesn't affect them. They did the same thing at the same time every year. And it's amazing how that happens. The trees before long are going to lose their leaves. Now I'm hoping that maybe we'll have a beautiful fall and a lot of colors we may or we may not, but the trees are going to go dormant. The growing season is going to end. And all of this is the faithfulness of God. Don't you wish we were as faithful to God as nature is? The God who set everything into motion. We can chart everything. We know when the sun is going to rise. All you have to do is look on your phone and it'll tell you when the sun will rise tomorrow and it'll tell you when it's going to set. It is so predictable that meteorologists can give you a nine-day forecast. Isn't that amazing? In the spring, when uh, 
tornado season comes, they will even be able to tell us, be weather aware on Thursday or Friday. There's something happening there. And it's amazing how predictable that is. We can send rockets and people can land on the moon and maybe even Mars someday because everything is so consistent, it's predictable. Think about how people would teach in ancient times, two plus two equals four. And guess what? That's what we're still teaching our children today. Uh, all of this kind of stuff shows the faithfulness of God. And notice David says you can see the faithfulness because it reaches to the clouds. It is unaffected by this depraved environment in which we live. God has decreed and it is so. And we ought to think about those things and we ought to rejoice in them. Thirdly, notice that God's righteousness is unchangeable by a depraved environment. You know, he says, your righteousness is like the great mountains. Now, uh, I don't know about you, but when I was a kid, we used to go to Colorado every year for a vacation. And we would spend some time in the Rocky Mountains. And those places that my mom and dad went when they were on their honeymoon in the 50s were still there in the 70s and in the 80s. And I suspect that they're still there. Uh, there's amazing Pikes Peak is still Pikes Peak and it's still the same height and uh, other mountains and the mountain range you can map them and they're all there there's something in the mind of David that the mountains were the constant things that outlast uh, every generation they outlast our children will see the same mountains that we see our grandchildren will see them as well there's something about them that seem stable he said in one psalm I will lift up my eyes to the hills from whence cometh my help well they don't come from the hills and by the hills he meant those things that are always there help comes from the Lord right well David says here that the Lord's righteousness that it's like those mountains. Nothing shakes it. Nothing changes it. It doesn't have to adapt to the times or to the whims of people or to polls or to politics or to governments or anything like that. Mountains are steady. They're solid. And they seem unchanging. And God is unchanging in everything. Unchanging in who he is. He's unchanging in his nature and his character and even his decrees are unchanging what he says is right is right what he says is wrong is wrong what he says is going to happen mark it down it's going to happen it's like the old hymn says all other ground is sinking sand you get in quicksand there's nothing dependable on that you build your house on the sand there's nothing dependable on that build it on the rock his righteousness is like the mountains and then fourthly Notice he says that um, he talks about the judgments of God. Your judgments are a great deep. I want you to think about going up to water. You know, they always told us when we were kids, if you're swimming and you're out in a lake or something like that, don't dive into water that, uh, uh, where you've never been before. You don't know what's underneath it. Because people have been hurt, killed, paralyzed. Think of Johnny Erickson Tata in a diving accident. She uh, lost um, use of her body through paralysis. Well, don't, don't do that. Don't dive in there because you don't know what is happening. Because there's some things you can't see. 
If you think about going to the ocean, you're on a cruise and you're out in the middle of the ocean and you look, you can enjoy the ocean. You can look and see the whales or dolphins or uh, seagulls, different things like that. You can enjoy the beauty of the ocean, but it's kind of a surface thing, isn't it? And even if you were to go snorkeling or you were to dive, you only go so far because the ocean, miles deep, you don't know what's down there. You don't know what is under there. And David is saying here, that's the way the judgments of God are. There's something that are, there, there are things that are unsearchable, and they are things that are not uh, readily seen, not in a depraved environment anyway. We see them in the Word of God, of course, but in a depraved environment. How many people are really afraid of the judgment of God? Is the judgment of God real? You bet it is. And we see examples of it all through the Scripture, and we see others example, uh, other examples of it in other parts of history. But you see the lost world, they go, ah, everything's going on just like it always has. Nothing's going to change, and they don't fear the coming of the Lord. They don't fear the day of wrath. They don't fear the great white throne judgment. They don't fear reaping what they sow. They just pass it off as no big deal. And uh, when I look at this about the judgments being like the deep, here's number four. God's wrath is deep and often unseen within this depraved environment. You just don't see it. It seems like people get away with things. It seems like there's no day of reckoning. It seems like just do whatever you want and boy, nobody will do anything. Seems like politicians are corrupt and nobody goes to jail. It, it seems like people break the law all the time and, you know, nobody does anything. People just look the other way. Doesn't it look and feel like that? But there's a day coming. And there is a judgment coming. And so many times when you read through the Old Testament, it would come. And when it would come, yes, there would be warning, 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 warning. And maybe even some signs of all of that. But doesn't the Bible say when they say peace and safety, then sudden destruction shall come upon them? Doesn't it tell us in the Bible that when it happens, it's going to be like childbirth, labor pains, labor pains. Oh, here it is. Doesn't it tell us in the scripture that when these things happen, it's going to be, well, like a thief in the night? Those kind of things tell us it's going to be sudden and it's going to be unexpected. And uh, this is what I believe David is saying here about the judgments being like the deep. We can see the water, but we don't know what's underneath there. And we don't know when it's going to come. Think about Noah's flood. There were warnings about it. And there was the building of the ark and the preaching of Noah. The, but the rain came for 40 days. But that's not really what caused the flood. That'd be bad enough. But the Bible says in Genesis 7:11 that the fountains of the deep opened up. Water came from places they couldn't see from places they didn't expect, from places they didn't understand. And that's the way it happens when the judgments of God come. And the only way we have any safety is like in the days of Noah. We've got to be in the ark. And what is the ark? Here's the good news. The ark of our safety, the ark of our salvation is the Lord Jesus Christ. So I conclude by saying, do you see the depravity of course you do. But are you gazing on it? I hope not. It'll drive you crazy. Look and gaze upon Jesus and see the faithfulness and the righteousness of God. You'll get enough depravity, but your hope will be settled upon him. 
And the other thing that I would say is, in these uncertain times, with everything that is going on, we're headed toward the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. Are you ready for that? Have you trusted him as your Savior and Lord? Are you born again? Are you in that ark of safety? Do you know him personally as Lord and Savior? Has he cleansed you of all of your sin? If he has, then rest in him. And is he, if he hasn't, why don't you trust him today? Repent of your sins, believe the gospel, and put your trust fully and totally in Jesus, his death, burial, and resurrection for your sins. And then surrender to him as Lord. And through that, through that, you will be in the ark of safety no matter what comes. So, what are you going to gaze on? What are you going to glance at? And I hope that it's the righteousness and the excellencies of our great God. Thank you so much. May the Lord bless you and may he encourage you through his word. And we'll look again in this psalm next week. Thank you.